Hello, I'm Dawn from Let's Try UBI podcast brought to you by the Citizens Basic Income Trust. Together, with the help of experts, we will explore how basic income can change individual people's lives and societies as a whole. But first, we need to understand what basic income is. Do we need it? And if so, why? In this two-part episode, we'll do just that. So what is basic income? Professor Guy Standing, a co-founder of the Basic Income Earth Network, an economist with a PhD from Cambridge, a former program director in the International Labour Organization, and someone who has been doing work around issues associated with basic income since 1986, has helped me answer this question. Well, the idea is that every individual, and that's important, every individual should receive a modest amount paid in cash or equivalent, uh, paid regularly, probably monthly, paid without behavioral conditions. So you don't have to do X, Y, or Z in order to be entitled to receive it. And it's non-withdrawable. In other words, you can't take it back either through uh, some system of deductions or something like that. And, and, And it's not means tested. It is universal in the sense that you, everybody would re- be entitled to receive it and they would be entitled to receive the basic income equally. Equal amount for men and women, regardless of their work status, regardless of household status, regardless of age, with a smaller amount paid for individual children. Johnny Douglas, a co-founder of UBI Lab Network, which aims to resource people with a universal basic income, elaborates. I suppose at its most basic level, uh, a basic income is a a regular payment of an amount of money, which is unconditional and universally given to everyone. So it arrives in your bank account or through whatever mechanism would be the best way to get it to you as an individual every week or every month. And it's the security of having that economic floor upon which you can stand and plan your life around, or at least deal with your life on on slightly more agreeable terms, because you know, without a doubt, whatever happens, it will be there every week or every month. For a lot of people, basic income may seem radical, and they might argue that the current system is enough to give people security, which um, Johnny has just mentioned. After all, wouldn't it have already been been improved if it had flaws? Well, Professor Standing disagrees. In Britain, the universal credit system is the most disgusting social policy that I've seen in my lifetime. It's not only means-tested, it's means-spirited. And it's means-tested means that you decide on whether somebody is poor And you only give any income support if they are identified as poor. But not only that, they also must be shown to be poor because of their own fault. And therefore, they have to demonstrate that it's not due to their own fault. This creates a large number of problems. The first 
problem is called the poverty trap. Because if you only give to the poor, what happens when they make an effort to become non-poor? For me, and that means is that they lose benefits just as they're gaining earned income, which has a huge deterrent effect on people trying to take low-wage jobs. Why take a low-wage job when the marginal tax rate, in effect, is over 80%? That's what the Department of Work and Pensions admit. And in other countries, it's the same. In other words, they only get an extra 20% or even less compared with taking, continuing to take benefits. That's no incentive at all. So it's called a moral hazard. And that moral hazard goes along with an immoral hazard. Because that system is, works that way, many people will not report small incomes that they get and then they risk being punished and declared unsavory names or whatever, so that it creates an immoral hazard. It's made worse, as I've argued in my books, because of what I call precarity traps. The universal credit system forces people to wait five weeks before they have any chance of starting to receive their benefits. In actual practice, it's usually much more than five weeks. And I think our system is punitive in the extreme. It is regressive. It results in huge numbers of people who should be receiving benefits, not receiving them at all. That's proven again and again and again. It's about time we stop pretending. I'm quite happy to be as angry as you like in condemning these bureaucrats who design schemes knowing very well that they always have high exclusion errors. In other words, 30 or 40% of the people who should be receiving those benefits do not receive them. And often through no fault of their own. But we shouldn't have a punitive system. We should have a liberating system, a system that encourages all of society to feel good and to feel altruistic and tolerant and solidaristic. The existing systems of means testing are disgustingly the opposite. According to Standing, universal credit is a system that is far from ideal and has fundamental flaws. But if we could improve the system instead of introducing something entirely new, could we justify basic income nevertheless? Annie Miller, an academic economist who has been active in the basic income movement since 1983, provided me with an answer. One of the reasons given forward to justify basic income is Thomas Paine's assertion that the land and its uh, minerals and all the natural things on it are here for the all of the people. A lot of people have been excluded from the wealth of society and they're owed an income so that they can live. If it's been taken away from them, then surely they should be recompensed or, and they should be given their share of the, of the country's resources, which they're not at the moment. Our land has been appropriated for private use, which means fewer people can own and afford a home and often spend a tangible proportion of their income on rent. Is this fair to people, or should we rethink who deserves to have access to various resources? People who inherit private 
wealth, have not done anything to deserve that. They've just been fortunate. And in a sense, you can say that, that, that the commons, the commonwealth that have been created, we all have an equal share. We, and so you should see a basic income as a sort of social dividend. If you're religious, then you can say that it's a matter of religious justice. God has given us unequal talents. And in a sense, a basic income given to everybody would be a compensation those who don't have equal talents. And I think that the, the sense of justice is where I, I think is most important uh, for justification for a basic income. But second, the idea of basic security as a human right, as a public good, is something that all humanity shares. We all want basic security. And basic security is a superior public good because the value of security for you and for me actually increases if everybody around us has basic security. There's less likely to be tensions, there's less likely to be many of of the angers and frustrations if we all have basic security. And for me, um, basic security has also been shown by psychologists to increase the mental bandwidth. If you are insecure, your mental capacities decline. That's basic. It's been shown again and again and again. Well, if that's the case, then how can governments or any of us hold people who are chronically insecure to the same demands on our attitudes and behavior that we place on ourselves? In a sense, that's not fair. And I think that giving people basic security increases their capacity to be rational, to be altruistic and so on. And that for me is, is fundamentally important. And the third, justification is that a basic income would enhance freedom. And it would enhance three types of freedom, not just one type. The first type is sometimes called libertarian freedom. The freedom to say no. The freedom to make choices. Very important, the freedom to say no is very important. That sense of individual liberty and freedom of, from constraints and freedom to make choices is one type of freedom. The second type of freedom is what is sometimes called liberal freedom. And liberal freedom is the freedom to be moral. The freedom to be able to make moral decisions based on reasoning and based on a sense of perspective, what is the right thing to do? Now, you can't have that sort of freedom if you're either chronically insecure or being told by governments or bureaucrats or anybody else what to do. You can only have that sort of freedom if you have the basic security, the command over resources that allow you to be moral. And that leads to the third type of freedom, which is called Republican freedom. 
the freedom from unaccountable power over you. It's not freedom if a woman has to ask her husband or partner if she can do X or Y. It's freedom only if she can decide herself to do X or Y. And even if she knows that her partner is the most generous and benevolent of person, that doesn't alter the fact that she doesn't have Republican freedom in those circumstances. And a basic income does that. We saw in our pilots in India and Africa that this sense of emancipatory freedom is the most traumatic outcome of having a basic income for a sustained period. Now, these three sets of reasons, justice, security, freedom, what justifies basic income for me. There are also instrumental reasons. It reduces poverty. It enables people to have better health. It enables children to stay longer in school. It, it improves sanitation. It improves behavior. Guy thinks that receiving a basic income would give us, as individuals, real freedom. It would also increase security, and it'd be a just way to make sure everyone is paid a dividend as a result of having little access to resources. But would all of this happen all at once, or would we see the effects vary with time? It would de-stress lots of people if you live with a, a constant residual level of cortisol within your body because you're in a constant state of stress that has huge measurable detrimental effects on your immune system and actually your ability to kind of do the fundamental processes that go around your body and reproduce cells and stuff. Um, and lots of other kind of immediate effects where people would have the chance to breathe and, and, and actually start kind of looking at the situation they, they find themselves in. Um, in, in the midterm, as, as it starts to transition, I think there's potential for uplifting in all sorts of ways that would you would see benefits in, in terms of the effect that it might have on, on, on groups of neighbours or the street or communities or different areas as, as people started to understand that everybody had this thing. So there would be ability to work collectively uh, on issues that, that the area faced or deal with situations. There would potentially be the, the ability to make more informed choices and, and better purchasing decisions, maybe collectivizing some of those purchasing decisions. And then for me in the longer term, it, it, it fundamentally could change the, the relationship between citizen and state. And as we shift the perception and the culture of what we kind of, a lot of things that we probably don't consciously think about, but influence our biases and behaviors, we potentially would change fundamentally as a society as we would view the outlook of the future, not in kind of uncertainty or desperation, but we would be able to look forward much further and, and plan and, and work together because we knew that we had a basis in which we could build from, which is why it's so important that we have a predictable, solid economic floor than an uncertain, changing, wholly only there to catch you once you were already in crisis and falling safety net. No one can really argue all of these effects that might occur are overwhelmingly positive. But then on the other hand, not everyone is insecure and not everyone needs extra cash. And I think a lot of people might have a question. Why should rich people receive basic income? Surely they already have enough? Because it's more efficient to do so. Also, I would like us to be um, a, a united 
and just and inclusive society. So you can't start dividing people into them who've got lots and them that hasn't. You've got to give it to everybody, but it's more efficient to give it to everybody and then tax the wealthier people more than they are at the moment um, in order to recoup the cost. And you could do that quite efficiently. So that makes sense, but wouldn't people stop working? People are social animals and they work not just for the earnings, but for the opportunity to make friends, to have a structure to their day or week. Some people even enjoy their work. There are lots of reasons. There are health advantages as well. And people, if they've got the freedom, they will create structures which give them that anyway, but they don't actually necessarily all have to be paid work structures. Uh, we all want to improve our lives. 95%, 99%, whatever, want to improve our lives from the point we are at the moment. And if you were giving everybody £100, £200 a week, do you really think that that's going to stop people wanting to improve their lives? But in actual practice, if you give people that basic income, whatever amount it is, it actually energizes people. It gives people confidence. It gives people a sense of risk-taking, entrepreneurial risk-taking. If you know that your bread and butter and your rent are going to be paid, you can take risks with trying to improve your skills, trying to improve your education, trying to improve by moving, etc. If you are desperate, absolutely desperate. You can't take risks. You can't. And for me, the, the, the prejudice that giving people a small basic income, if that's meant to discourage people from wanting to work and wanting to improve their life, well, let's take all that vast money away from the wealthy. After all, they must have a much too much wealth. They should have it taken away. I mean, if, 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 if that theory is meant to apply to all of us, let's start with the wealthy because they've got, you know, a lot of, lot of wealth. Take it away because it must deter their working. Well, you know, they, they inherited it. So let's start there. So I don't think the argument is either ethical or, or logical. And it's certainly not uh, human in the sense that we're talking about giving people basic security and nothing more. For Guy, basic income is a moral issue. It would give people basic security as a human right. But in more practical terms, a lot of people are economically inactive and may not, well, at least not in very obvious terms, contribute to society very much. So I asked Johnny whether he thinks that uh, people who choose not to work should also receive a basic income. I suppose there's the kind of fairness element of, of people being of the opinion that they have worked really, really hard and, and therefore who, who are all these layabouts that don't do anything that should be entitled to it? Why should they be entitled to it? I, I, I think that's a, a fundamental misunderstanding through the biases that we, we are all exposed to, that people have unconsciously arrived at that conclusion. Because when you question, well, who are you referring to? Like, who do you know that does that? They're like, oh, no, it's not the people I know, it's other people. But if you speak to everyone and say it's not the people they know, it's other people, that kind of suggests that these people who sit around and do nothing are, are fairly mythical. And the current system 
already accounts for the tiny minority of people who, who want to do that. And, and that's kind of their choice. There are also lots of people in all sorts of different circumstances where it isn't their choice and they're kind of stuck in that place. And what they could do with is, is some support rather than being told they're worthless or useless. And also a lot of people speaking from an outside perspective, because obviously I, I'm in quite a privileged position in, in the lived experience I've had, but if you've got generations or, or huge amounts of time and situation because of the, the postcode lottery of, of where genetically you appeared in the world, it, it's not your responsibility to somehow dig deep and find inspiration to get yourself out of that, that situation. One of the things that I think a basic income could do that kind of counters that argument is if we're all honest with ourselves, we kind of are the people that we are because of the conditions and environment we exist in and the support we've been given by the people around us. So wouldn't it be great if we offered everyone some decent level of support and then we could maybe be critical about what they should or shouldn't think or what their attitudes to society and how much effort they should be should put into society should be because if you're constantly told one thing and being downtrodden and sort of beaten into submission then of course that's how you're going to behave and that's not to excuse certain behaviors but it's a brutal reality that I think we all need to deal with and and picking up on another thing of of uh, that sits alongside with that of this idea of, of of people will become lazy if you give them a basic income. Like if you just give people money, they'll sit on their ass and do nothing. Well, the Chancellor of the Exchequer has kindly just done what will be by the time it's finished at least a year long experiment with about nine million people about what happens if you give people money to do nothing. And the single greatest consistent response to that is people have been driven out of their minds because they haven't had anything to do. So Rishi Sunak has, unfortunately for him, but very fortunately for us, debunked the myth that if you just give people money to do nothing and specifically tell them to do nothing, they find it really hard and they go out of their way to find things to do. Different estimations suggest that between 60 and, and up to uh, around 84% of all wealth in the UK is inherited wealth. So if, if that argument that if you just give people money that they don't have to do anything for or earn, in inverted commas, they would be lazy and disregard their responsibility in society. Well, actually, the vast majority of people who have any net worth have actually been given that and they haven't done anything for it at all. And they still go out and work. So what Annie, Guy and Johnny said, it all makes sense. Um, it is quite counterintuitive at first, but I think once given a bit more thought, basic income might actually start looking like quite a good idea to everyone. Um, however, as a husband mentioned earlier, it is considered a radical approach by some. So what about the alternatives that have been proposed to fix the issues we are experiencing? Should we guarantee jobs or introduce more types of universal social services, perhaps? In my book, Battling Eight Giants, Basic Income Now, published last year, I have appendix, uh, appendix on universal basic services versus basic income and on job guarantees. I think universal basic services is a bit of a con. What are these basic services that are going to be universal? Because the idea was, according to the advocates in their early documents, was that 
everybody should have access to a free service. What are these services? Well, let's start with food. Okay? Can you imagine that we all have access to free food? What would that look like? Would it be a sort of, we could choose any night, any type of food, caviar, steaks, but it wouldn't be like that. It would be basic. That would be basic, just like it was in the Soviet Union or in the Danway system in China. It would be rationed. It would be soup kitchens glorified. Everybody would have limited choice and the quality would not be uh, given much attention because you have to be grateful for this food because you're getting it free. And then the advocates, because they know that this would lead to inefficiency, waste, uh, lousy quality, they said basically that this means that the poor would have access to one meal a day uh, if their incomes were less than a third of average income, something like that. Well, of course, that's not universal. That's not universal. It's means-tested. And why one meal? Why not two meals? I mean, which meal? Breakfast, lunch, dinner? And once you get to that point of stupidity, you then turn, okay, what's next? All right? Universal, uh, basic uh, housing. Are we all going to be living in the same house, type of house, the same standard? It would soon, very soon go back to the bedroom tax and things like that. You've got more room than you should have. You couldn't determine what an access to a universal basic housing would look like because we all have different tastes. Now, you can go through all of those formula. I'm all in favor of public provision of services, okay? I do believe, actually, it's sensible to have a price on those. Otherwise, we abuse things. Think of water. If you had a universal right to unlimited water, um, you would leave the taps on. Not necessarily you or me, but people would because they're not paying for it. They're not, they, it's wasteful. They don't have to be concerned about it. And very quickly, there would be an even worse water crisis than we've got at the moment. The same with other services that people don't actually respect them unless they have to pay something. So I believe in the price mechanism. We can make choices. I might want a little more food, a little less water, a little less this, what well, like that. We can choose. I believe in choice. That's part of freedom. That has to be based on equality of access to resources. And then you can have a good system. So I believe in public services, but I don't believe in this UBS as a, as a model. It leads to Leninism. It leads to the Soviet system, which, which was lousy. I'm afraid it was terrible. I worked in Russia and I saw what it was like. Now, then you go to job guarantees. <laughs> I have a friend, Robert Skidelsky, who's been an advocate of uh, a universal job guarantee. 
So I tease him and I said, well, what job are you going to give me? Okay, what job are you going to give me? I'd like to be president. Um, can you give me that job? Well, no, of course not. Well, can you give me a job guaranteed as an economist? Well, no, of course not. So what sort of job is it you're going to be guaranteeing me with? Okay. Well, they may determine what job to give you. Cleaning the leaves in Hyde Park. Okay. You could put your hand up and say, I don't want to clean the leaves in Hyde Park. Well, in that case, you won't get anything because you've declined your job guarantee. And that leads to basically that it would drift into workfare. It would drift into saying, you have to do this job or you don't get any benefits. It's direction. It's directive. But then you have a problem too, because if you push certain people into a low paid job they have to do, you're going to lower the, the income possibilities for people who would be doing those jobs in the labor market. You would be substituting for people who were doing jobs, cleaning the leaves in Hyde Park or whatever it might be, lowering their wages, they would be substituted. And it would tend to drive wages down in the low wage labor market because you're suddenly increasing the supply of workers to low wage jobs. It's basic economics. And if you did that, you're going to increase the inequalities in the labor market. And then there's the problem of productivity. People who are forced to do things don't do them very well. So you either have to have very tight supervision with punishments, etc., or you have very low productivity. I've seen that in India, where they have public work schemes and people do as little as they can to get away with it because they're not getting paid very much and it doesn't very matter very much. And the supervisors don't really care very much because they're not getting paid very much. So the whole system is one as a prescription for massive low productivity, low, low efficiency and punitive measures at the end of it. For me, it's, it's a bad joke. Whether you like communism or not, it sounds like both universal basic services and job guarantee would bring us closer to it, potentially causing havoc in our system and would be difficult to manage and administer. What everyone said about basic income today has only been positive. Um, it would give us basic security and freedom, decrease stress and improve health. And if it replaced universal credit, it would also give us all dignity. But how can we finance a basic income? How do we know that the effects would be as positive as we've discussed today? Well, in the second part of this episode, my guests and I will tackle these exact questions. Thank you for listening to the first part of our very first Let's Try UBI episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen to us on the Citizens Basic Income Trust website. I'll chat to you soon. Bye-bye.